What's up guys, it's Heather here and I am just getting ready to record another episode of my podcast. Strike Boat is my novel, chapter 4 is episode 7 today and we are just getting ready to begin. So thank you for joining me today. If you are looking for where to connect with me, I am on Twitter and I am on Getter and I am on Facebook and I will put the links to those in the description below. But uh, thanks for joining me today, wherever you are on this uh, beautiful 13th day of January, 2022. I hope you're doing okay and keeping your spirits up. And with that, I'll get started on Strike Boat, Chapter 4. Chapter 4, Wanda. Wanda Blake lay on her back on the kitchen floor, fighting tears. She was trapped, pinned to the floor with her own refrigerator on top of her. Absurdly, she thought about the cherry cheesecake she had in there, setting. It would be ruined now. The thought made her want to cry. She had been really looking forward to eating that cake. When the earthquake had come, she was sitting at the kitchen table, finishing the morning crossword, halfway through the pot of jasmine tea that sat in its cozy beside her. She had finished the puzzle and was just standing up to go to the bathroom when she first felt the floor begin to tremble. Pushing her chair back from the table, she had begun the short walk across the kitchen when the quaking got worse. She lost her balance, grabbed onto the fridge door handle for support, and fell anyway, taking the fridge down with her. She must have blacked out for a while. When she came to, the quaking had stopped. She'd opened her eyes, found herself on the floor, eye level with the broken pieces of crockery that had toppled from the counter. She was pinned on her back with the fridge pressing down on her, and try as she might, she just couldn't budge it. The worst part was she still needed to use the washroom. She had shouted for help, but of course, there was no one to hear her this far out into the countryside, and eventually she had given up and trailed off. She could see her cell phone on the counter, uselessly out of reach. She laid there, willing herself not to cry, thinking of her husband Charlie and missing him. He'd been gone two years now of a stroke and she had been left all alone on the farm. She was in her 80s, and most of the time, she was pretty content. She had her crosswords and her cat, and she had company, her friends from the church and the card groups she belonged to, and they were always good for a chat on the phone when she got lonely. But lately, she had been missing her husband, and now, in this moment, with the goddamn fridge on her hip pinning to the floor, Wondering if she was going to pee herself, she wished Charlie was here something awful. She pressed her knuckles to her lips, squinting her eyes shut tight, and the prickle of tears subsided. She took a few deep breaths and geared up and pushed against the fridge again with all of her might, but it refused to move. She lay back, breathing hard, and thought about letting her bladder loose on the kitchen floor. Who would know? But then the thought struck her of what would happen if she was still here, still trapped like a turtle on its back the next time she had to go, and the time after that, and a wave of panic flapped at her heart. Why didn't I get one of those buttons? She muttered aloud. She struggled again, pushing upwards, then let her eyes close and her head lay slack against the linoleum. 
A twin pair of helpless tears slipped from between her lashes to slide down her temples and into her soft, curly white hair. But then a rumbling sound drew her attention. Her eyes snapped open. Was that the sound of a four-wheeler coming towards her? She cocked her head, trying to hear, and then grinned. It was. The quad got closer, fast, and the next thing she knew, she heard the engine switch off. Next came the crunch of footsteps in the gravel driveway, followed by the sound of work boots climbing the stairs to her porch. Miss Blake? Wanda? You in here? Everything all right? It's Lodi. Oh, Lodi, thank God. I need help. Come on into the kitchen. There was the squeak of the screen door opening, and then she saw his work boots and denim-clad legs come into the room. He knelt beside her and gave a low, gentle whistle. She had never been so glad to see his blue eyes in her life. Well, hi. Look at you. You okay? I'm going to lift this fridge off of you. Are you hurt? The gentleness of his tone made the backs of her eyes sting again, but she winced and held it together. My hip hurts, but it'll be better once the fridge is off of it. Okay, I'm going to lift it up. Count of three. Ready? One, two, three. There was a grunt and a heave, and then it was up. She closed her eyes from the blessed relief, and when she opened them, he was walking the fridge back into its accustomed location beside the stove. He pushed it into place, then turned around and knelt down beside her. It's going to be a mess in there. You think you can stand up, or do you want me to give you a minute? Help me up. I need to go to the bathroom like you wouldn't believe. Incredibly, she was laughing. Having him here had made her feel so much better. Things had been so bleak a few moments before, but that already seemed like a memory. He came around behind her head and tucked his hands under her armpits, then pulled her to a sitting position. Easy does it, he said. He gave her a second to catch her breath, and then he gently hefted her upright. There now, how's that? She leaned on his arm. I'm up. I feel a little unsteady, but I'm standing. Can you walk? She could see the concern on his face. She pressed a hand to the small of her back and grimaced. There was going to be a bruise there, a bad one, but she could walk. I can walk, she said, taking a tentative step. He laughed. Come on, I'll help you to the bathroom. He took her arm, and with Lodi leading her, she made it to the bathroom. I'll be out in a minute. You go on over to the living room, see if you can get the news on. I want to know if there's a story on the earthquake. You bet. A few moments later, he had settled in on the Blake's floral print Chesterfield, clicking through the channels on the television screen. In the background, he heard a sigh of relief from the bathroom. Ah, that's better. But when she went to flush, a hollow clang sounded from the pipes. The toilet gave a low, desultory swish, but nothing near as robust as the usual sound of flushing. He frowned, remembering a similar hollow clanging from the pipes in his bathroom. On screen, the footage from Wyerton made his jaw drop. He leaned forward. There was a chasm opening up, a fissure that looked not so unlike the thing he had just seen out front of his own house. Another opening in the earth this one huge. He listened numbly as the news announcer spoke of a shift in the landmass known as the Bruce Peninsula. At Wyerton, its narrowest point, 
the earthquake had opened up a chasm that had split the northernmost third of the peninsula partially away from the mainland. Wanda came out of the bathroom cursing, but she looked a little more spry. Well, I don't know what's wrong with the goddamn water, but sheesh, if it's not one thing breaking down on this old farm, then it's another. I guess I'll have to call a plumber. She dropped down onto the sofa beside him and looked at the TV. What in the world? She blinked at him. Some kind of rock slide. A fissure has opened up in Wyerton. They say it's the narrowest point of the Bruce. My God, that looks terrible. It was true. The scene at Wyerton did look awful. Fires had broken out along the divide. Hydro wires and gas lines had been severed. There were emergency crews trying to battle the multiple blazes, and the scene had developed into what could only be called chaos. The rockfall had weakened, for now. It had slowed to a dull trickle, the muddy brown rend in the side of the peninsula, becoming the backdrop to the scene as the fires and general chaos below became the focus. It appears that these earthquakes are causing the damage, said the reporter, a slim Chinese-Canadian woman in a smart gray business suit. But what's causing the earthquakes? Chasms like this are appearing in multiple places in the region, but this one in Wyerton is very serious. Apart from the fires, with the highways impassable, it's going to be very difficult to get people off of the northern part of the Bruce, where they are effectively stranded. Lodi clicked off the TV. He put his hand on her arm and met her eyes. Wanda, it might not be your plumbing. Something is wrong with the water at my house, too. I think it might be the wells. Besides, he pointed at the TV screen. I know where there's another one of those chasms. It's right in front of my house. Wanda stared at him, then shook her head. Let me guess. It's right in front of that new building that Donald King put up a year back, right? The one where those unholy noises are coming from? You've heard those too? Of course I've heard them. Never heard nothing like that in my whole life till around a year or two ago when Donald King built whatever shady thing he has going on under cover of that tall, narrow building he put up. Workers don't work in the nighttime outside, but his did. I used to go and sit on my quad in the moonlight and watch them, shutting each other, trying to keep quiet. I'm guessing he bribed old Mayor Moody to look the other way on that one because there wasn't no building permit issued. Lodi had a bad feeling, one that started in the pit of his stomach and rose, slowly spiraling its way up his chest until it reached his heart, and he spoke it. I had a feeling that chasm was something to do with that building of his, the one that fit, doesn't fit in with the rest of his old wooden barns. Corrugated metal or something, tall and narrow, not like a farm building at all. That man never has been up to no good. Neither was his dad or his grandpa before him. How many acres they got in the king name? 5,000? And how they acquired it? Watching the obituaries, waiting for someone to die, waiting for someone's family to fall on hard times and then pouncing, swooping in and offering them quick cash on the barrel, taking their land when they were out of options for a fraction of what it was worth, did it to widows as well, drove some good families out of the area, right out of farming in general. Oh, I knew he was up to no good, all right, but the moonlight construction on that building proved it. An idea occurred to him. Wanda, do you have a digital camera? 
Sure I do, and it's charged. Charlie was always on me. Never put it back in the drawer uncharged, Mom. That's what he'd say. She got up, winced a little, and pressed her fist to her lower back, then crossed to a desk with a laptop on it. She opened a drawer and rummaged for a second, then pulled out a flat black camera case. She unzipped it and drew out a compact digital camera. Lodi heard the delicate chime that emitted when she powered it up. She grinned. See? Full battery. Some things you learn. He was smiling. How would you feel about taking a ride on the quad with me? King wasn't home when I left. I kind of want to drive around that chasm and have you take some pictures. I'm not sure why. I just have a feeling. If your feeling is that King is a wolf and shouldn't be trusted, it's probably spot on. Let me get my jacket. She crossed to the hall closet and withdrew a windbreaker. Putting it on, she zipped the camera into its pocket. I can clean the fridge out later. Let's go. They sat in a little circle in the lobby of the municipal building, watching the slides of Anderson Arthur's PowerPoint flash by with expressions of horror on their faces. Jenna, Deb said woodenly, her face ashen when it was done. Where did you get this thing? It can't possibly be real, can it? Jay started the slideshow again. Jenna looked into Deb's eyes and saw the hurt and concern there, as well as the quick intelligence as the implications of what she was seeing played themselves out in Deb's mind. And the thing that made Jenna, that it made Jenna feel to watch her process this was anger. Her eyes flashed with the heat of it, but she fought for some normalcy and gentleness of tone. I hope not, she said, but it could be. It came to my email. I don't think they meant for it to come to me because they called me just now and threatened me. They told me to delete it, said if I don't that they'll kill me. My God, Deb crossed herself and then she crossed her arms over her stomach and bent forwards, collapsing onto the sofa, hugging her knees. But Vic was standing up, rushing to the screen. Pause it, he cried. Jenna winced. The implications were dawning on Victor as well. He grabbed the remote from Jay and froze the image on the screen. This here, see this? It says Manico fracking damage. Manico, Deb. That's the people who make the natural gas that fuels the Fallon thrust. They looked at each other, both of them employees at the Fallon plant, and it hurt Jenna's heart. No matter how crooked the ones at the top are, the workers are just humans, just good people trying to get by, she thought. They had bought into the system, the one that told society that if you worked hard, got a job, made good pay, and got yourself by, you were one of the good ones. But nowhere in that sales pitch had there been the proviso that the work that you did might be part of a destructive force capable of taking everything that you'd worked for away. This was the reality they were now effectively confronted with. Deb swallowed hard. No, but Victor, Manico can't have anything to do with what's happening, can it? Not with the earthquakes and the fissure up at Wyerton? That would just, that would be crazy to think that the place where we work that relies on Manico fuel to run the kind of cars that we've sold thousands of, to think of all of us in there doing that work using our bodies to do work for a system that destroys the very ground beneath our own homes, 
No, Vic. No, it can't be true. It can't be. Deb dropped her head back down into her hands, and Jenna put an arm around Deb's back and felt her trembling somewhere deep inside. It breaks my heart, Deb, but I think it's true, Jenna said quietly. Lawrence Fallon's name was on that email. Why would it be on there if this wasn't true? Vic nodded, grim. He's due at the plant today. In just a couple hours, he said hoarsely, coming to pick up an award for the Fallon Thrust to be recognized for how environmentally friendly it is. He scrubbed a hand along his jaw. What a load of horse shit that turned out to be. Fuck, you can't trust anything, can you? Jenna shook her head. She was thinking once again about the turtles, which were now beginning, which were now beginning to seem like a stepping stone in a very complicated path that she had been following to this moment. Nope. No, you really can't. Not when money is involved. Vic, play the rest of the video, please, if you don't mind. I need to watch it again to help this sink in. She kept her hand on Deb's back, rubbing gently. Vic hit play. The video advanced. They watched the Bruce slide into the water. They saw the waves that rose spread outward, rushing inland, rushing into the nuclear power plant, the lake water swallowing everything, setting a ticking time bomb into motion. They saw again the Hamilton Harbor standing underwater, the CN Tower swimming amongst a tangle of tilted and crumbling high-rises, the landmass known as Southwestern Ontario going from bright green corn and yellow wheat fields to a sodden thing dirty and brown and pockmarked with sinkholes and decay before subsiding into the water that scurled inland and rolled over the surface, covering everything. They watched the images flash by them that foretold the end of an era, the end of the era of their lives as they knew them. When they reached the end of the video, Victor put his head down and pinched the bridge of his nose between his thumb and forefinger, squeezing his eyes shut and wincing. This is fucking crazy, he said. His voice broke. It can't be true. It can't be. At that moment, as though punctuating the end of the video with a little dose of quaking to confirm to them that it was true, the crockery began to tinkle again and the windows started vibrating. They heard a smash from somewhere down the hall. They waited what seemed like ages for it to subside hardly daring to breathe, but then finally, mercifully, the land beneath them settled down again. I wonder if this was the other story that the news reporter was talking about, Mary said softly. At the flag headquarters, Cynthia Jennings sat at the desk in her private office and stared at the computer screen. Anger radiated from her, seethed from her, the energy so intense around her, it was palpable. Her green eyes narrowed, cat-like, as she literally sat and concentrated and tried to will the awful thing that had happened back into the past, or will herself into some parallel alternate universe where she was a version of Cynthia Jennings who had not done this awful thing that Cochrane was going to kill her for. Back. Just go back. Make it stop make it not be happening, she was thinking. Back to that moment in time when Cochran shot Preston, 
back to the moment she flinched like a baby instead of handling herself like the adult she was. That had been the moment she had undone all of the good names she had built for herself with flag in one motion. Of all of the hoops that she'd had to jump through, it was the leak of the data that she'd be known for. Because she let it slip. The slideshow, the motherfucking tip-top secret, the trail of information that proved that Flag was culpable, the smoking gun, the hot potato itself, and she fumbled it out into the universe, leaked it out into the internet by virtue of one mistyped digit, Genwall 313. Christ, off from her father's email address by one digit, just one digit, Genwall 316. Gathering up her computer and belongings, she had exited the boardroom right behind Cochrane, face gray, heart hammering in her throat. She'd come to her office to sit and seethe with anger at herself and try to think of a way to counteract the disaster that had already begun, try to come to terms with life in a world where she had leaked restricted information to an outsider, information that put Cochrane and his friends in jeopardy. Because of that one little mistyped digit, information that Cochrane had killed a man to suppress had gone out, and Cynthia was to blame. She was mortified. She tapped her French-tipped fingernails against her straight white teeth and thought, what should I do? After a moment, an idea dawned. She ran through the names and faces of the people in the boardroom, some of whom were still in the building. Would any of them help her? A name came to her immediately, a face, the only one that could help her now, the one who would enjoy helping her now, especially if there was a pretty, dark-haired woman involved. Cynthia rolled her eyes and thought, fuck, she's probably watching the slideshow right now. There was an address on the municipality's website. She had that, and she had a cell number. It would be a start. If the rumors she had grown up hearing about Gilles Doucette were true, it was all he needed. She stared at Jenna's picture, once more tapping her perfect French-tipped fingernails against her teeth. It's her or me, she thought. Then she dialed Gilles Doucette. I've got a little problem, she purred into the phone. Think you could take a little road trip for me? There's a woman in a town called Mount Bridges, about an hour away from here. She's pretty. And she needs to die. You think you could take care of that for me? Gilles Doucette, a.k.a. the Fox, thug of the flag board and Cochrane's right-hand man, was standing in the parking lot, rubbing alcohol-based sanitizer into his hands, having just finished a task for Cochrane that had left him feeling restless. His blood was up, and the thought of satiating himself in the manner she had proposed was not unappealing to him. What's she look like? She fat? I don't like the fat ones. At her desk, Cynthia rolled her eyes. She scrolled through Jenna's social media profile, found a photo of her smiling on a 10-speed bicycle, wearing a clingy spandex outfit, and texted it to him. A momentary twinge of guilt shot through her at the thought of what the fox would do to Jenna once he got his twisted hands on her. Rape and pain and death were what she was sending Jenna's way, and she knew it, but she swallowed that down. It's her or me. She's pretty, Cynthia said again, quietly. The fox got the text. He opened it up, 
looked at the broad on the bicycle, pictured his hands on her, hurting her, pictured himself driving into her, punishing her, and he grunted. She'll do, he said thickly. Great, Cynthia said. Here's the address. She texted that too. Make her delete the file first. You need to make her do that first, you got me? I got you. I'm on my way, said the fox. Excellent. She hung up, then smiled her cold and feline smile. The fox would take care of Jenner Walters. She had absolutely no doubt about that. Cynthia herself, however, was still in deep with Eric Cochran. In that case, there was only one person she could tell. She needed her father. As much as she hated the thought of telling him she'd screwed up, he was the only one who could intervene on her behalf with Eric Cochran. He would be pissed. She knew that. Walter Jennings was not a patient man, nor a kind one. He had a bad temper, and daughter or no daughter, she had felt it. But he'd pulled strings to get Cynthia into the boardroom, and since he'd stuck his neck out for her, it was in his interest to contain the information as well. Squaring her shoulders, she took a deep breath and dialed his cell phone number. Jenna struggled to maintain her composure. They had watched the slideshow to the end, then backed it up to the slide marked Manico Fracking Damage. One frack site in particular had her attention in the area on the map called Mount Bridges. There was a frack site here in her town its presence confirmed by a little harmless-looking red pin depicted on the map. She saw the hurt and confusion on the faces of the people around her, and at the same time, the woman's voice from the phone call replayed itself inside her mind. The last person that got a hold of this information who shouldn't have is already dead, and you will delete it or you will be next. A flush of indignation warmed Jenna's cheeks, remembering. She heard a whimper and turned to look at Jay. He had sent himself the minutes of the meeting from Jenna's phone and opened it on his laptop. He was reading them now, gaping wordlessly at the computer screen. Jenna saw that he had tears in his eyes. They're going to cover it up, he whispered. His face was white with shock. Who is? Who's going to cover it up? Jay circled the directive from Eric Cochran with the cursor. This right here, this Cochran guy. He ordered them to keep this information to themselves. But how can they do that when there are millions of people in danger? You saw the slide. It's called the evac zone, what we're in now. There's a reason it's called that, Jenna. It's because everyone inside that circle needs to get the hell out of Dodge now. How is that going to happen if nobody knows about it? Jenna closed her eyes. She needed to stay calm, to focus, to think for a minute. The slideshow had been sent to her in era. Cynthia had told her that, and Jay was right. If they were going to call her and threaten her to delete it, they weren't going to call the authorities and order the evacuation. By fate or by chance, the slideshow had come to her, to Jenna, and now it was up to her to decide what to do about it. It had taken less than five minutes from the time the email had come in until the time when Cynthia had found Jenna's number and phoned her to threaten her life. That very fact alone made Jenna realize that these flag people were ruthless. They had a lot to lose if word got out that they were the cause of the quakes. That made them dangerous. 
There was a part of her that considered doing as Cynthia had asked and deleting it, calling her back, telling her it was gone, erasing this strange morning from her memory. But that wouldn't erase the damage, and besides, the email had come to her, not anyone else, just her, and she had made a promise to herself that if she ran for the office of mayor, she would govern with integrity in all things, all things, that included this. She looked over at the others and saw that Mary Lee was crying too. If southwestern Ontario was going to flood, then the right thing to do was let the people know about it. Someone had to tell them, Jenna thought, and since she was the one that had been sent the slideshow, by divine providence perhaps, then she guessed it would have to be her. She had to warn the public to get the message out there so that they could start evacuating. She stood up, grabbing Jay by his upper arms and giving him a little shake until she had his full attention. Put it up online the fastest way you know how, she told him. We've got to make this shareable so that the public knows. We need to get those people out. Jenna watched Jay as his fingers flew over the keypad and he did what he needed to do to get the file ready to post it. Suddenly he stopped and looked up at her. You know, he said slowly, the easiest way would be to put this video, put this into a video and play it right on the municipality's YouTube channel. Then we could link to it from our social media and share it out that way. He paused, his fingers hesitating over the keyboard and Jenna knew what he was thinking. In the normal order of things, there were bureaucratic hurdles to be jumped that would make something like posting a thing like this under the municipality's banner subject to approval of the full council. Jenna knew that if today were a normal weekday instead of a Saturday and the chief administrator officer of the municipality, Kevin Perkins, was in the building, he would never allow it without going through the proper, proper bureaucratic channels. When it came to decisions of council, Kevin Perkins always adopted a martyred expression and staunchly insisted they do things the orthodox way, claiming the integrity of the township was on the line. Even though he himself can be found in the service alley accepting a bribe, Jenna thought, she made a decision. Do it. She caught Jay's eye and held it, giving her head a firm nod. Do it, Jay. I'll take the blame. You can say that you had mayoral approval. I'll even put it in writing if you want. His brown eyes softened a bit. He broke her gaze and looked away, sheepish. Ah, geez, Jenna, that won't be necessary. Just promise me that if I get in shit for this, you'll get my back. That's all I'm asking. Of course, if things go down the way that this thing says they're going to go down, this town's website will be at the bottom of the lake bed, just like the rest of the town. She gripped his shoulder firmly. Whatever happens, I will have your back. I will take the blame for this. I promise. He held her gaze a moment longer and then nodded, swiveling his chair around to face the screen. A moment later, he had done it, hitting enter a final time decisively. He rocked back in his chair and clasped his hands behind his head, puffing out a great big breath of air. It's done. Jenna felt a little thrill course through her. It was out there. Great, now move over. I'm going to put it on my social. Jay jumped out of the chair and Jenna sat down. 
She had a dual set of social media feeds, one in her own name as a citizen and one in her role as mayor. She looked at the feed that appeared below her mayor page, properly politically correct posts, every one of them. Posting something like what she was about to post under that page could get her municipality in trouble. Liability was the bottom line, the trump card, the basis on which most decisions were made anymore, right or wrong. That was the grim reality of it. Even though she had more followers and more reach that way, more platform, she felt for a moment frozen by the potential social fallout or liability that could come from posting it there. The YouTube feed was bad enough, but that had been a, ba- a matter of expeditiousness since the channel was already set up. She found that there was a barrier, whether perceived or actual, or j- just inside herself. It was almost as though the potential employment or career consequences she could face if she posted it on her professional account were more important than the saving of lives. The paralysis that she felt when looking at both of her social media logins was pointless because wasn't everything pointless now if the whole of southwestern Ontario was about to go underwater forever? Still doesn't feel right. She logged into her personal page. Her eyes caught for a second on the profile picture, herself smiling in a canoe in her former life before she had known the depth of corruption that existed in the town she lived in, before she knew that men would hide toxic waste in a marshland that fed not only the wetland habitat of a thousand species, but also the drinking water supply for a First Nations reservation where humans lived, before she had known that greedy men brought envelopes of cash to public figures to get them to do dishonest things, and uttered thinly veiled threats of a misogynist nature to women like her when they couldn't convince her to accept them. She thought about the girl that she had been briefly and how that girl would have reacted if she had known she'd one day be doing this, holding information in her hands that could make the owners of the means of production accountable for their acts of exploitation of humanity's resources and decided that the girl that Jenna had been would have been proud. She took a deep breath and gut-checked. Universe, she said internally to herself. I'm about to do something here that might put my life in danger, mine and all the lives of those around me. If it's wrong, give me a sign. If I'm not meant to do this, give me a sign. Make me feel anxious. Make me feel fear. Make me feel something if this is wrong. She consulted her stomach, but there was nothing. No knot of fear, no heart palpitations, no anxiety, no worry. It's right, a voice inside her whispered. Do it. She closed her eyes. When she opened them, a new resolve had settled into her. It was right. She could feel it. She got again the sense of giant wheels turning, cosmic wheels perhaps, the wheels of fate, the wheels of destiny, the turtles, the election, all stepping stones on a path that had led her to this moment. The slideshow had resonated with her, the fissure at Wyerton, the quakes, the dream that morning. She knew that the things the slideshow had to say were true. She hated it, but they were true. And if that was the case, then the people had to know about it. 
There would be massive loss of life if she did nothing. Even if they came to kill her for it, what was one life in the saving of so many? She copied the link and pasted it into her status bar, watched it populate with the cover shot of the slideshow. Then she, cu- then she hovered her cursor over the composed field and felt her fingers settle lightly over the keyboard. Everything feel a little crazy today, she typed. If you live in southwestern Ontario, and particularly the Bruce Peninsula, you need to watch this. We are not safe. The quakes are caused by covert flacking. Click the link. Corporate greed is destroying our homes. Get to safety. She thought it for a second or two more, then added some hashtags. Danger. Corporate greed. Fracking. Get off the Bruce. She hovered over the icon that would post her message, then did one more quick gut check. Am I really about to do this? She asked herself. And a little voice inside her whispered, yes. She closed her eyes and clicked. It was done. She stood up shakily. Jay had his mobile out. I'm going to share your post on my social media feeds as well, he said. I've got a lot of contacts at the university. That slideshow is about to make the rounds at Western. It's going around the Fallon plant too, said Vic, whipping out his mobile. I'm sharing it to the union page. It'll get a lot of traffic there. Jay put the municipality's YouTube channel up on the flat screen on the cover page for the video he had just posted. The little message indicator underneath the cover slide read no views. As they watched, the view count indicator rolled to one, then two. There was a moment of quiet while what they were witnessing began to sink in. And then Deb gave an anguished cry and turned away. What the hell were they thinking? She asked, burying her face in her hands. She looked up at them with tears shining in her beautiful brown eyes and expression of hurt on her face. How could the government allow Manico to set up fracking sites that could do this kind of damage? I don't understand. Victor looked at her, solemn. They didn't, he said. His lip was curled in a sneer, his eyes full of betrayal. Didn't you see what it said? They didn't have the government's permission. That's why they don't want this going public. That shit was covert ops. They found a way to do it behind the scenes. Deb, there's something else, too. We're a part of it. Deb looked at him sharply. He sighed. Manico Natural Gas Stations run the thrusts that pay our paychecks. The fracking is where they've been getting it from. But that's not true, Deb insisted. I watched the video on the lunchroom TV screen the other day. The natural gas that runs the thrust is harvested by fracking, sure, but it comes from a site in northern Manitoba. It doesn't come from here. That would be crazy. Vic shrugged. That's probably just propaganda. Remember all those videos they run about how environmentally friendly the thrust is? Doesn't look so harmless now, does it? Not if the process they've been using has done all this damage. That's why they're covering it up. This kind of wide-scale fracking in the Great Lakes region would never get approval officially. Look at that map. Those little red dots that mark the frack sites are fucking everywhere. This place is riddled with them. 
Not even Prime Minister Wall would authorize that. He might want to, but even Wall knows there'd be too much opposition. The area is too valuable environmentally. You're talking about the drinking water of what? 20 million people? A hundred? Who takes a chance like that? They do, Deb said. She and Victor shared a look, and then Deb shook her head. It's got to be a hoax. It must be. She was grasping at straws, and she knew it, but she couldn't seem to help herself. There's got to be some explanation. There's got to be a... Deb, Vic said, cutting her off. Look at those names up there in the address field. Lawrence Fallon, Raleigh Kincaid, he's the president of Manico. It's his fucking company, Deb. Look at the minutes of the meeting. They're not disputing what they're being told. They know they're guilty as sin. They're just trying to avoid getting caught. This Cochrane prick's not stupid. He knows what he's doing. That's why they called me and threatened me, Jenna said quietly. That's why they wanted this covered up. Jesus, Deb Hathaway crossed herself again. The hurt on Deb's face was so raw, so real, that Jenna felt a hardening happening inside herself, like a call to arms. All of a sudden, Jenna knew that there was going to be a fight against the a-holes that has done this thing, and she was going to be the one to lead it. She nodded grimly to herself, determined. If not me, then who? Everything happens for a reason. She felt her fingernails digging into the palms of her hands and looked down at them, forced herself to unclench her fists. It's real, Deb. Remember the earthquakes? It's real. You know it. I know it. We all know it. You knew it in your gut, didn't you, Mary? You knew when you were on the phone with that reporter that something wasn't right. You almost mentioned it then, but you put it aside, just like I've been doing all morning. I woke up with this feeling of dread, knowing that somehow I was in danger. I had a dream. There was a nuclear explosion. I was standing in a sea of dead people. I've been avoiding thinking about it, but I can't anymore because it's real. And now those fuckers have to pay. Vic was nodding. Jay was watching the slideshow video again. This data looks convincing, he said. I've seen this kind of thing on Daily Planet, the subsidence thing this guy's talking about. What they've done is break the subsurface layer of rock under the ground. They've cracked it. It's brittle now and damaged, and it could collapse into the mantle at any moment. If a nuclear explosion happens, it won't be able to withstand the force of that. There's not enough support to hold it up. When the shockwave hits, when the bruise falls down, any number of possibilities could happen now that the land underneath of us is broken. The land is going to sag, and when, since we're surrounded on all sides by water, once the land sinks, it'll flood. Jenna looked at him questioningly. How long would something like that take? Jay shrugged. It could happen in the blink of an eye, he said. This Anderson guy who wrote this slideshow seems to think that when the bruise goes down, it's going to trigger an inland tsunami that will for sure hit the nuclear plant. There are no defenses there to protect it from that kind of thing. Not like Fukushima, where they had defenses. They were just breached. In this case, the plant itself is on the slide line. Who knows what could happen? The plant itself could fall into the lake. That alone could trigger the subsidence. 
the presence of the nuclear reactors is the wild card. If this Anderson guy thinks the landmass here is going to flood, I think he's probably right. And from the sounds of what we saw on TV, the Bruce Peninsula has already started to move. Jenna chewed on her thumbnail, trying to picture how much time they had. Check the views again. How many people have seen the video? Jay did. It's up to 17. It's not enough. We need to warn people. We, meet, we need to make it viral. We need to capture the attention of the media. The government needs to evacuate the area. We need to get those people to safety. Vic broke in. Jenna, are you sure that's wise? These people are dangerous. They've already threatened you. Jenna met his gaze. She could see the, the concern there in his soft brown eyes. He was worried about her, but Jenna was worried about all of them. There were a lot more lives at stake than hers. She told him this. Can you think of any other way to get the message out there? After a moment, Vic shook his head. No, he said. I guess you're right. I can't, and we do need to warn them. Jenna looked at Jay, suddenly realizing that she was putting him in danger too, all of them. She bit her lip. Guys, she said, Vic's right. If we do this, they might come after us. They probably will come after us. They know where we are and they're dangerous. People that would do a thing like sit on information that could save millions of lives, they'll do anything to cover their asses. She stopped for a moment her face even. Right now, at this moment, the target is only on me. You guys can still escape this. If you want to leave now, walk away. That's totally fair. No hard feelings. If you stay, I can't promise you that the target won't be on all of your backs too. They looked around at each other. There was a nervous silence and then Mary broke it. We have no choice, she said. Jenna raised her eyebrows at her. Mary normally played things very safe. There are kids on the Bruce, Mary said. Kids like my daughter. They deserve the chance to get to safety. I'm staying, Jay said. I can't leave you here without your IT department. You'll need me. Vic and Deb looked at each other, seeming to come to some si kind of silent agreement. We'll stay too, Deb said quietly. Yeah. Vic agreed. It's our workplace. The workers there deserve a line on the truth. If Deb and I can do that for them, it's our duty. Jenna felt a weight lift off her shoulders. Whatever came next, she wouldn't be alone. She grinned. She couldn't help it. Despite everything that was happening, she felt, she felt very conscious at the moment that her faith in humankind was warranted. All right then, she said. Let's start calling people and sending out this link. So that concludes chapter four of Strike Vote. I just want to say thank you so much for listening and uh, enjoying along this process as I move through it. Uh, I'm just a new Canadian author reading my own words in my own voice and trying to provide some comfort or enjoyment wherever I can. So if you are enjoying Strike Boat so far, don't forget to subscribe and maybe share it on your socials. That would be helpful. 
And until tomorrow, I just want to say blessings on the rest of your day. I hope wherever you are, you're feeling some joy today and being happy and stay free. We'll see you next time.